Hey everyone, you're here with Matt Para, and I get the privilege of commenting on this week's Sabbath School lesson. It's lesson seven in this quarter, and it's entitled Language, Text, and Context. And so we study the relationship between words and their meanings and the context in which we find biblical words or the words of Scripture. It's important when interpreting Scripture that you understand what words mean. And it's important that we understand what words mean in the light of their immediate context and larger context. Now, for some of you, this just might seem like common sense. When I'm having a conversation with another person, if I'm going to understand that other person, I need to understand the words that they're using, what those words mean, and I have to also understand the words that they're using in the context in which we're speaking. So if I'm out of touch with the context that words are delivered to me from or out of, then it's going to be hard for me to understand those words and what they mean and how someone's using them. And if someone's speaking to me with words that I'm unfamiliar with, I may not understand what in the world they're saying. So although uh, for some of us, this, this, this is just like common sense, like not for all of us, but many people don't realize that the principles of interpreting Scripture uh, that we apply to interpret Scripture correctly and faithfully are really just good principles that guide any and all real communication. So that's just something to consider and think about as we launch off into Sunday's lesson, which is entitled Understanding Scriptures. So we begin this day's lesson, Understanding the Scriptures, by reading 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, a passage that we've been visiting quite frequently in this quarter's series of lessons. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So, what is Scripture for? Well, God uses it, God inspired it to teach us. So, I want to learn I want to grow in my understanding, and I want to learn from God. I want God to teach me and guide me and expand my knowledge base, my understanding. Well, the Scripture is God's tool for doing that. The Bible reproves me. It puts me in my place. It corrects me. It lets me know when I'm doing right, when I'm doing wrong, when I am wrong, or when I am right. It's the standard by which I determine whether or not I'm correct or not about something. It's my filter for truth. And it trains me to do right. It's, it's good for, the apostle says, for training in righteousness. And then verse 17 says, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So if I want to become equipped to do the good work that God has assigned me, that God has destined me to do as a person, well, the scripture is profitable for that, for helping me to that end. Now, this all emphasizes how important the Scripture is. In allowing Scripture to teach me, to reprove me, to correct me, to train me in righteousness, 
so that I can be adequate and equipped for every good work, I'm really letting God do it because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So there's a lot in this, there's a lot implied by this fact, this truth, to ignore Scripture, to refuse its reproof or its correction, to choose to not be trained by it, uh, is to reject God's training, God's reproof, God's correction, God's teaching. Why? Because all Scripture is given by inspiration from God. It's inspired of God. Now, God, in communicating to us through Scripture, He did it, as we have talked quite a bit at length in this quarter, through the Hebrew people who spoke Hebrew or ancient Hebrew. And uh, so most of the Old Testament is translated from Hebrew, some of it from Aramaic, a related language, and the New Testament from Koine Greek. These languages are not commonly spoken, and we don't speak them much today. Very few people do. So Sunday's lesson just kind of begins the discussion. It just points out once again that the Bible has been translated, yet the Bible is super important, and therefore we need to be careful in handling the Scriptures, and we need to be sure that when we read the Bible, we have good basic principles of interpretation, and we need to always be cognizant of the fact the Bible has been translated and you can translate a thought from one language to another, but in the language you're translating a thought into, there, there may be certain words that cannot be perfectly translated from one language to another. Language is the vehicle for thought, but all the words in a language, in a tongue, are not going to perfectly parallel other words. Now, many words do perfectly parallel, but many words don't. I'll give just a couple examples from the top of my head. The word boy in English, boy in Spanish, niño. So, niño in Spanish means exactly what boy means in English. There's a, there's a direct connection between those two words, and if a person were to want to translate, uh, you know, something about a boy from Spanish to English, well, it'd be real easy to, to, tra to, to do that because boy, niño, exact same meaning to those words, but that's not always the case when translating words from one language to another. So, jumping on down to Monday's lesson, which is entitled Words and Their Meanings. So, it's important that when we want to understand the meaning of a word, we search throughout Scripture to see how that word is used in different places. So, the, the, the lesson focuses in on one particular Hebrew word, uh, and that word, I don't know its pronunciation, but it is the word chezed or kezed. Uh, it's, it's oftentimes translated as mercy or loving kindness. And so we search throughout Scripture in our lesson to look at different occasions where this word is mentioned. Then we look at the word shalom that is oftentimes translated as peace, and we look into the fact that the word has 
the original Hebrew word shalom has a much richer and deeper meaning than the word peace. So I want to understand fully or as much as I possibly can the word shalom or the word kezed. Well, I just do a, a big broad study of how the word is used and this can help me understand better what that word means. Okay, so for those of you guys who don't know, there is a thing called a concordance. When I first gave my life to Christ, one of my first purchases was a new Bible, and then one of my second per new second one of my one of my other first purchases as a Christian was a concordance. I bought a big, hard-covered Strong's concordance of biblical words. And what it is basically is it's it's like a a dictionary slash encyclopedia of the original words that our English Bibles were translated from. So I go into the concordance and I find an English word for a certain translation of the Bible and then I can see what Hebrew or Greek word or Aramaic word that English word was translated from and then a little bit of information about that Hebrew or Greek word is given to me so that I can understand more uh, what this word means in, it, in the original language and I can see all the different places in the Bible where this Greek Aramaic or Hebrew word is, is, is also used. So um, I might go to five different locations in my Bible, in my English Bible, and find that one Hebrew word is translated in two or sometimes three different ways. And what's happening is the translators are using a different word to translate the meaning because they understand that the context in that that word is being used in is slightly different. And so they'll translate uh, a different, translate the meaning of that word into a different English word as so as to be as accurate as possible in translating the meaning of that original word. Okay, so it's important for all of us students of Scripture, people who really want to know the Bible uh, and really want to know God's word, and because we want to be reproved by Him, we want to be taught by Him, we want to be uh, equipped by God, so He's given us the Scripture so that we can be. Well, it's important then, as I study Scripture, to get myself a good concordance. Uh, and if it's not a hardcover one like, like I have, because I'm an old-fashioned guy, uh, there's tons of online concordances you can buy. Strong's Concordance, Young's Concordance. Uh, there's uh, awesome programs that are available, really intuitive, really easy to use, like eSword and, and others. So I would recommend that every serious student of Scripture, every true disciple of Jesus, every Christ follower out there who loves God and who loves the Word of God and who's experiencing salvation in Jesus should, should go out and get a concordance or buy an electronic concordance. or There's even free ones online that you can utilize and use. So I recommend that you would do that uh, because it's important to understand words and their meanings. Now I'm just going to say one last thing about uh, language and words. And it's something you may not have ever thought of before, but language is malleable. And that is to say that semantics change as you use words differently. So um, syntax is, is how a word is spelled and how it sounds, and semantics is what a word means. Uh, words carry with them multiple different meanings depending upon how you use the words, and that's why I say language is malleable, right? It's, it, it can, semantics change. Meanings of words change as they're used differently, right? Th this is something that we all know intuitively. We all understand this, and we all know this and understand this because we all use language. 
and we're proficient at the use of language because it's just inherent, it's just natural to human beings to communicate. And so we understand this, we know this, that word meanings change as they're used. So that's why when you look into a dictionary definition of word, you're gonna see multiple different definitions because the word can be used in different ways. So language is malleable. Um, there is a real danger in, in the use of language that I see, a lot of, I see a lot of people kind of falling into a trap, a language, what I call a language trap. And it's where they use words in a, in a similar way to how people use numbers. So like if I, see, if I see the number two or the number five or the number 10 or the number 1,000 in a thousand different contexts, a million different contexts, it's always going to mean the exact same thing. Language is not the same as, 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 as numbers. So you may see a word in a thousand different places, a thousand different sentences, a thousand different contexts, and it's highly likely that that word is going to uh, mean different things in different contexts. Why? Because language is not numbers, you know. See, somebody might say there's the language of mathematics. Well, that's fine, but you don't interpret words the same way you interpret numbers. Numbers have an exact meaning attached to them. You could say in a sense that numbers are perfect in the sense that they're complete. They are perfectly complete in what they define. Uh, words are not that way. And we're gonna talk about this a little bit more in, in, a, in one of the coming days lessons here in this commentary, but the scholarly terms to describe what I'm saying, uh, or the scholarly way to describe the different ways of using language, uh, the first would be considered uh, the encyclopedic method. That's the, uh, the, the correct method of relating to language. That is where a word may have multiple different meanings. Uh, and then the uh, incorrect way to use words is called the container method. That is where you suppose that, you know, it's like a container. It's just like that word contains one meaning and then that's it. Uh, and that's really a bad way to relate to words and their meanings. Okay, now we jump down to Tuesday's lesson. It's entitled Repetition word patterns and meaning. And the lesson points out that in Hebrew and in Greek, they did not use punctuation to bring emphasis to words and to bring connotation to words as English does. And so Hebrew and uh, so biblical writers would utilize different word patterns in order to emphasize meaning. And the lesson points out Genesis 1, 26 and 7, and how the word created is used uh, multiple times to emphasize something in Isaiah 6, where Isaiah sees angels and they are proclaiming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And so words are oftentimes repeated to help us to understand that something is being emphasized. So emphasis is being made because, by, by repeating certain words. Now, uh, Daniel is also looked at the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 3. So the basic point that we take away from Tuesday's lesson, the basic, simple, fundamental point is, is that uh, you should pay attention when you're studying scripture uh, for, or you should look for uh, repetition and patterns of words. This is a common tool in Bible writing times. Uh, so, so more meaning can be drawn out. More meaning can be extracted from Scripture. If you notice, oh, hey, look, he said this, then they said this, and then they said this. Oh, interesting. And it's, it's cool because in Daniel chapter 3, 
the lesson points out that the phrase, the image which Nebuchadnezzar set up, is mentioned like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times. So obviously, Daniel is trying to, you know, point attention to the fact that this is an image that Nebuchadnezzar set up. This is an image that represents Nebuchadnezzar. This is an image that's a sign of Nebuchadnezzar. This is an image that uh, emphasizes and accentuates Nebuchadnezzar's power and rule and authority. Uh, it's the image which Nebuchadnezzar set up. So, if you're there on the plains of Dura with all of the leaders, rulers, satraps of the Babylonian Empire, and you bow down to that golden image, you are bowing down to the symbol, to the sign of Nebuchadnezzar, his power, his authority. And so, in noticing this repetition, you're, 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 you're going to obtain more of the meaning uh, that is intended in the text. So the Hebrew prophet Daniel is trying to communicate something. He wants you to understand something. And so what he does is he repeats the same phrase multiple times. And, and if you notice that, if you, if you see it, it, it enriches your understanding of the passage. It's the same with the angels declaring, declaring holy, holy, holy. Now, don't we suppose that, <laughs> that in heaven people understand language quite well? And so why then would, would angels be using the same language over and over again? Holy, holy, holy. Because they're emphasizing something very important. Uh, Isaiah is emphasizing something very important. He wants us to, to fixate on and focus on the holiness of God. And he wants us to see and understand how angels are, are constantly enveloped in this uh, pursuit of who God is and this wonder with the character of God and the nature of God. And so they're in the eternal pursuit of love and life. And they are creatures that extend out of and are derived from the king of the universe, God. And he is holy, holy, holy. And so they're proclaiming uh, and, and it's being emphasized. God's holiness is being emphasized so that we could understand better uh, what's being communicated in the text in the passage. Um, okay. Now, uh, Wednesday's lesson talks about texts and contexts, okay, and it, uh, it points, attention, points our attention to the fact that the same word, as I've already kind of mentioned this, the same word can be used in different contexts and therefore uh, mean uh, something different. And the lesson uses the word man as an example and how sometimes it can mean uh, all people and sometimes it can mean like one singular man, like one male person, or the male half of the human race. And so the context helps you to understand how to interpret the word man. And the lesson points out the fact that there are there is an immediate context to a word, that is it's the verse or maybe several verses, then there's the larger context of say the, a chapter or multiple chapters, and then there might be you know the, the larger context of the book itself and what the book is trying to communicate. And so all these things coalesce, you know, the immediate context, the larger context, the context of the book to help us to understand what words mean. And, um, and yeah, and words help us to understand what, what the whole message is. So there's like a balance between words and their context. So there's like this, as I said, a coalescing of what a word means and how a word is being used. Um, and, and this brings understanding when we when we keep this in uh, this this intention. 
An example that I've always used when trying to explain to someone how context changes um, the meaning of a word is, I, as, is the word day. So the word day can mean the light part of a 24-hour period. The word day can mean uh, one 24-hour period. And the word day can mean an unspecified amount of time. So the Bible says, um, today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, as in the provocation. That's from the book of Psalms, and it's quoted in Hebrews chapter 4, and Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It may be 2 Corinthians, but it's 1 or 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, today is the day of salvation. Now, when Paul says, and uh, David says, that today is the day of salvation, they are not saying, they're not trying to refer to like the, that one specific day that they were writing in was the day that you could be saved. They were just identifying, you know, whatever time, wherever you find yourself, they were basically saying wherever you find yourself, wherever you are, that's the day of salvation. You have a choice to make today. And so today is the day of salvation. It's just a, just a general statement identifying an unspecified time frame. And it just means wherever you are in time. And the word day is used. So the context helps you to understand that the word day in, in, in those verses, in those passages, doesn't mean a 24-hour period or the light part of a 24-hour period. In the Genesis creation account, in Genesis chapter 1, you, you hear the phrase on multiple occasions, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Okay, so here you have the word day being used to identify a 24-hour period, which includes the dark part and the light part of a day. And then, you know, we all know that multiple occasions in the Bible and, and elsewhere, the word day is used in contrast to the word night to mean like the light part of a 24-hour period. Uh, you know, Jesus, yeah, I, Jesus infers this when he says uh, in John chapter 11, you know, I have to work while it's today, while it's daytime, because the night is coming where nobody can work. And so, yeah, the word day is in reference to an unspecified amount of time, but he's inferring that day is oftentimes used to identify the light part of a 24-hour period. So you get the point that I'm making. The point is, is that context affects the meaning of a word. So if you read the word Sabbath or the word judgment, uh, and it's the same Hebrew word you've identified, it's the same Greek word being used in a text, in, in multiple different texts, and you want to find out what this word means, you can't always assume that just because uh, the word Sabbath is used or that a particular, you can't just assume that because a particular word is being used, it means the exact same thing. You have to consider the context, the immediate context, the larger context, and the context of the book itself. So this is important consideration. Now, we consider these things, why? Because we love God, because all Scripture is given by inspiration from God, is inspired by God for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the people of God could be adequate and fully equipped for every good work. And so uh, we want to know what God says, and therefore it's important to consider uh, language and its meaning. And it's important to consider this lesson, language, text, and context. Thursday's lesson just talks about something I've already mentioned, and that's books and their message. We oftentimes don't think of it, but the books that were written in the Bible, were most of them were not intended to be part of a collection. When the New Testament authors are writing, say, their epistles, or uh, writing a history of the gospel, the intention was not, the intention of the authors was not, hey, this is going to be uh, additional texts to the larger 
canon of, of the Bible, the larger canon of inspiration. Uh, these were just books. These were books that were written by prophets. Now, I'm, I don't venture to assume that I knew what was in a prophet's head. You know, if, if, if Matthew or Luke or uh, Peter or Paul was thinking, yeah, I'm writing a, a book, I'm writing a letter, and this is going to become a part of the scriptures. Uh, we don't know, but they were inspired just as the Old Testament prophets were inspired, and their communication became a part of the canon or the standard of scripture. But I'm just, I'm just trying, I'm just making this point to emphasize the fact that they were writing what they were writing as a, as a, as a whole message, okay, as a whole message to either a church community or the Christian community as a whole or to the Hebrew people or to uh, a particular nation of people outside of the faith. Uh, but it's a book and the book had its purpose, its theme, its major sub-themes. And so... Uh, I think it was like a revelation to me maybe 15 years ago when I just started reading books of the Bible as if they were books, you know? And so uh, I would approach them not as just part of some like uh, broad compilation of facts, but I just would start reading them. Oh, okay, this is from a particular person to a particular group of people. And this person has the intention of uplifting these people, of drawing them nearer to God. And, and let, me, let me study carefully what is being said in this book? What's the message of this book? I'm just studying the book of Hebrews right now. I've been studying it for about six months in my personal devotional time. And I just finished the book maybe a month and a half ago, and I'm just back for a second round before I like leave. I can't just leave. After one go-round, um, I'm kind of like that, where I just fixate and fixate and fixate on something until I really feel like I've, I've captured a sufficient amount of meaning. So I want to be able to walk away from the book of Hebrews and just feel like, yes, I got all out of you that I could, Hebrews, and it's enough. Like, I'm okay, you know? <laughs> I really think it's important that we do that when we approach Scripture, by the way, is that we don't just read to read, right? Like where we read a chapter or two chapters or three chapters and go, I read three chapters of the Bible today, but you just don't really take anything away. The point of reading the Scripture, the point of studying the Scripture is understanding it. So if you're, understand, if you're not understanding what is being said, well, guess what your job is? You keep reading. When the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, study to show yourself approved to God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth or rightly dividing the word of truth. Um, yeah, you, that means that you should dig into passages of Scripture. You should wrestle with them. You should read them over and over and over and over and over again and, and like bathe in them and baste yourself in them and you know like a wine taster you put it in your mouth and you you taste it you eat a piece of cheese and then you taste it again you know you just you keep studying keep studying until you derive meaning from the text and so I really think that the way we approach scripture is very irresponsible when I say we I'm not saying you or me or any individual person or everyone in our church I'm just saying that the general population of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, I feel, handles Scripture irresponsibly. They don't uh, diligently seek. They don't, we don't uh, carefully consider. We don't study to know, to learn. We just kind of, oh, I read three chapters today. Oh, good. It's like checked off the box. We're all good. It's like this zombie-like routine, you know, just read, uh, okay, I'm done. Oh, off to the next thing. And the Bible says, rend your heart, not your garments. Joel 2 says, like, tear your heart. Don't just give me 
uh, physical expression. Bring your heart into it. Bring your mind into it. And the person who's seriously studying Scripture, who really wants to know what the Scripture has to say, they put their game face on. They get their eyes and mind focused. You know, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 22, if your eye is focused, your whole body will be full of light. You've got to focus. You've got to study to show yourself approved to God. This is important. This is serious. This is for real. We've got important messages to discover from God. And when we dig into 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, we see it says, hey, the scripture is the way God guides you. God leads you. God reveals truth to you. He corrects you. And uh, so that you can be adequate and complete in every good work, in ministry, in fulfilling your destiny. So take serious, take scripture seriously and study it for real. As much as you studied for your HSC, as much as you studied for your SAT, as much as you study anything ever, because it's more important than any other, any other document in the world. And so you approach a book, you study it. You want to know what it is saying, what the book is saying. And so I've been studying the book of Hebrews, as I said, for about six months now. I think it took me about, I mean, just several go-arounds just reading through the book, reading over, reading the chapters over and over and over and over again, and studying words and studying the larger context and going back to what is being referred in the text, you know, from the Old Testament. And just, just looking at things from 50 different angles and, and researching a particular Greek word. And, you know, you're just diving in. It's just like a big party of discovery where you're just studying and believing that God's going to reveal to you some awesome and powerful messages. And trust me, man, I've just been so uh, blessed by the book of Hebrews. I'm so in love with it. And uh, we should all be in love with Scripture because it's messages from God to us. Keep that in your minds, guys, as you study this week, as you continue to journey with Jesus. God loves us. God cares for us. We are His children uh, through faith in Christ. We have been reconciled to Him through Jesus, and He's got these precious messages in the Bible for us. He wants to guide us, direct us, reprove us, correct us, make us better, make us happier, make us holier, make us healthier. And uh, all of the wisdom of knowledge and truth is, is encapsulated that we need to know for salvation and for a happy, healthy life is in the Word of God. Ellen White makes this powerful statement where she says that, that there's, there's, there's no exhaustible scripture in the Bible, no exhaustible text in the Bible, that each passage of scripture, its meaning is inexhaustible, or in other words, you could study it forever and never come to fully, fully, totally understand it. And so we'll be studying God and the Word of God forever. And so let's let's begin a good, serious, a good relationship with Scripture now, a serious relationship with Scripture now, and repent of just being casual students of Scripture. A friend of mine, he says this, and I think he's right. He says, if you've never cried over a text, you've never studied the Bible. And that is to say, you've never desired to understand, if you haven't desired to understand what a passage means so badly, and in frustration that you didn't understand it, cried, then you've never really put sufficient effort into the Word of God. Anything worth understanding is worth sacrificing whatever it takes to gain understanding from. And uh, surely the Word of God does that. So anyways, I'm trying to inspire you guys. God bless you. Take care. All the best in Sabbath school. See ya. Bye.